Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. This is our Habits Show. Our muse today is best-selling author and business leader, Michael Hyatt. He was my guest in show 663, where we talked through his message and the title of his book, Free to Focus, Achieve More by Doing Less. Michael is my first repeat guest who had already done a Habits Show with us. You can actually see it back in show 517. So in this Habits Show, I asked him for two things. One, are there any updates to his healthy habits? Anything new? And he did talk about a ketogenic diet that he's been working on, doing some intermittent fasting, hobbies of playing the Native American flute, and taking up photography. Uh, but goodness, he just gave some incredible counsel in each of the seven spokes of the Ziegler Wheel of Life. Really great guidance because I, I really posed it to him. I said, Michael, if you were you know on stage giving sage advice on the most beneficial habits for each spoke, what what would they be? Uh, so as you saw in the title of the show, we got into the topic of constraints and their benefit. Think of structure and boundaries, even guidelines. It's really what I benefited most from hearing. And I really think you will want to hear what all he has to offer in this show. Again, don't miss Michael's new book that's just been released free to focus. You can get it at michaelhyatt.com or of course, wherever you buy books. Okay, friends here, then I bring you Michael Hyatt's best habits for success. Well, Michael, as I told everybody in the intro, so we did a habit show together uh, about 15 months ago from when this post, it was December of 2017. You're the first person I've had back on the show and you did the habit show. So folks, you can go to show 517 and hear his habits. And this will tell you if he has changed any of them, I guess there you're on the spot, Michael, uh, for that. But I want to walk through them again. I want to see what's new. You mentioned in the first show, or maybe it was when we were talking before it even about some new things that you're doing in the physical realm so we can hit that and talk about those. But I also, you know, being the influencer and leader that you are and talking with so many people and having the privilege of leading so many people that if you had to look at somebody who was an open book, one of my kids, let's say, you know, who says, Michael, give me, you know, one of your grandkids, he says, okay, grandpa, tell me what would you, what, where were some highlight starting points you would give me to have health in each of these points? So I'm going to ask you to do that in each one of these two. Okay. I like right. that. That's well, a great approach. The first one is the physical spoke. Now, Zig just put physical, but I like to put nutrition on that too, because it usually encompasses what you do to get your body moving, exercise, whatnot, which you uh, told about in the first one, said you didn't like it actually. Uh, and then also on the nutrition side, uh, let us know there. But I also want you to put in there because I know you mentioned it in the first show as well. We talked about sleep too. So uh, tell us what's happening there with you. Yeah, I would say if I was giving advice to somebody and they wanted a place to start, I would say make sure you're getting adequate rest. Okay. And so for me, that means seven to eight hours sleep a night. Uh, we talked about on the other show uh, tracking that with some device like an Aura Ring, or there's a lot of cool iPhone apps. But what you measure, you can improve. And the average person is getting a lot less sleep than they think because they're tracking time in bed, not time actually asleep. But there's nothing that will impact your productivity, your sense of focus, your sense of well-being more than being rested. I mean, there's other things like nutrition and exercise that are that are important, too. But I would start there with sleep. Okay. And you said when we talked a little bit that on the nutrition side, there are some new things you've been uh, sampling. I don't know. You tell me. But on the, yeah. you mentioned keto and some fasting things. What's going on there? Well, let me just say, give a disclaimer. I'm not a nutritionist, yep. you know, so I don't 
understand all the technical parts of this. But uh, Gail and I got on the keto diet, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about this too. It's not a high protein diet. It's a high fat diet, moderate protein, low carbohydrate diet. The first thing I noticed when we got on it, we've been on it for almost, uh, let me just think here, six months now. We've lost 30 pounds, each of us. Wow. And I think Gail's actually lost a little bit more than that. But the first thing that we noticed when we got on it, we didn't think we had brain fog. But boy, did we have brain fog. And I think most of this was coming from too many carb uh, carbohydrates. Just the sugar that's in carbs clouds your thinking. And you don't recognize it if you're on a high-carbohydrate diet. But once you get off of it, it makes all the difference uh, in the world. So this the keto diet, I don't know if you know this, but it was developed back, I think, in the 1930s as a way to manage epilepsy in children. So they knew that there was a, there was a relationship between cognitive functioning and what you eat. And so we've been on the keto diet. And like I said, we lost about 30 pounds. We also practice intermittent fasting. Yeah. So we're only eating in a, in a narrow window of time between about noon and six o'clock. So we don't eat breakfast. Typically we eat uh, lunch, we eat twice a day lunch, and then we'll eat a dinner. And that again, looks like high fat, clean fat, um, moderate protein and low carbohydrates. Yes. So yeah. we feel great. Yes. Well, and you look great as well. Um, and, on, and I appreciate though, you also, your admission somewhat of your, uh, exercise, lifting weights, running. I don't know what you do there that you don't like it, but you like it better than the ensuing heart attack later in life. I think that speaks to all of us. It, it's like somebody who said, you know, uh, it might've been Chuck Swindoll. He said, I don't like writing, but I like having written, Yeah, you know, writing a book is hard. But having a book published is amazing. Yeah. So it's the same thing with with exercise. I don't particularly enjoy it when I'm doing it, although I have cultivated a little bit of taste, uh, a little bit of appreciation for it. But I sure like the effects of it. I love how it makes me feel when yeah. I come home from a workout. Yeah. And, you know, I'm much more energized. Yes. Um, okay, the next one, family and friends. And I really encompass this just in relationships, relational health. I know you've got a growing family. You talked that about that. You have your kids are now really grandkids. Uh, your kids are grown and you've got different things there. So I assume that there are some uh, fruitions of how you keep your relationships strong. I don't think things changed for you in that in the past year. But again, just as you start off in the last one, where if you're going to give a surgical strike to somebody that you care about on relational health, what's a highlight? First thing is you got to be intentional. And, you know, probably not everybody listening to this show is married, but those that are not all, all the people that are married have kids. Yeah. But I'd say even if you have kids, it's really important to intentionally continue to pursue, continue to date your spouse. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I always wanted my kids to know is that they were hugely important to me. But the one relationship that came ahead of my relationship with them was my relationship with their mother. Because I felt like if I modeled that well, if I loved Gail well, that that would have an impact and influence my children. And so I have five daughters and I'm close, close friends. Two of them work in my business, close friends with each of them. I'd rather spend time with them than anybody else. But for Gail and I, we go on a date almost every week. I have my assistant gym schedule it because left to myself, I'll forget. I won't get reservations. I'll be tempted to blow it off. But he always makes sure that we have date night. We've got reservations. You don't have to do that, but we do that. We go out to eat. I know your parents do it at Miller Grocery, yes. you know, when they do that once a week. We've been with them on, on date night. But you got to be intentional. Same thing with the grandkids. Things, same thing with my daughters to continue to find times uh, to date them. I've got them on a rotating schedule now, so I am still seeing my adult 
daughters for lunch on a regular basis. What that means is, is you're probably going to have to say no to a lot of business lunches and other opportunities that can eat up your free time, your, your evening time, your weekend time. Because for me, that, that primarily comes from my family. Second, for my friends. You, you asked me about friends. And I'll just tell you there. One of the things I, I did uh, a couple of years ago, and I've done it like every five years for, I don't know, the last 20 years, is I literally write down a list of my closest friends. You've got to differentiate. You know, there's a quaint, well, first of all, there's fans and followers, right? People that write to us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Then there's uh, people that are acquaintances, maybe people we went to high school with or people we worked with at a previous job. Then there are friends that are where we're actively involved. We actually know these people. We see them on a regular basis, maybe people at church or whatever. Then there are what I would call our best friends or our closest friends. And you really can't afford too many of those. You need to have some, but you can't afford too many of them. But I give the priority in the reverse order that I listed to them. You know, what I'm not going to do is give time to some acquaintance, some people, some person that I haven't seen in, you know, five years and let that take precedence over my 85-year-old parents that have a limited time. You know, I want to make sure that I'm spending time for, for them. So again, it's being intentional and what gets scheduled gets done. It's got to make its way into your calendar. You're just simply not going to do it. You know, Michael, yeah, we last interview with you was December, 2017. I have not spoken to you or seen you since that point. I know testimony of your devotion to your wife, uh, to your kids, to your grandkids from my parents, just in passing, just in them, uh, the group text was saying, Hey, this is what we did Friday night. This is what we did this weekend. And I hear about what my mom has done with Gail or what they've done with you guys as a couple. And, uh, that's what speaks most to me is I don't have to hear you mm. say it. I hear testimony from those around you and it speaks thank you. louder than anything. Well, thank you for that example. Uh, the third spoke here is mental, the things that you do to keep yourself mentally sharp, which, you know, interestingly, you've, you've spoken somewhat, the sleep uh, as one that you do and the exercise as well. But on that mental spoke, so for somebody who's going to be cultivating uh, the, their mind in essence. So we'll start off again at the top of where's a surgical strike, where is a highlight counsel that you would give to somebody on keeping themselves mentally well? Yeah, well, you you mentioned it, but definitely sleep, um, fat, clean fat, you know, avocados, uh, flaxseed oil, you know, things that are that are high quality fats are super important for brain functioning, for cognition, for prevention of Alzheimer's and dementia. You know, there's been a lot of research, a lot of science on that. But assuming that you're you're taking adequate supplements, you're getting adequate sleep, you're paying attention to nutrition and all that stuff, uh, reading is huge. And that's where I would, you, you've got to have a reading program. I mean, so many people that they, they just don't read. They say, well, I'm not a reader. Well, look, you know, it, you got to decide if you want to be a leader or not, because the truth is readers are leaders, leaders are readers. There's a correlation between those two. If you don't have input into your brain, if you're not sharpening your own thinking, if you're not uh, if you don't have a system for sharpening your thinking against the best thinking of other people, you're just not going to have, you're not going to be at a competitive advantage. So I always make time for reading. In fact, we have a book club now with thousands of people in it called Leader Books. People can find out more at leaderbooks.com, but it's like the world's biggest uh, book club for leaders. 
you buy your own book in whatever format you desire, and we lead you through the process. We give you the book recommendations every month, and we lead you through a plan for not only reading those, absorbing them and applying them, but discussing them with fellow members. You know what you're speaking to there on the, you start off with the, the fat. Uh, my wife does cognitive research. So my house is filled with psychology today and this cognitive thing and stuff that's way beyond my pay grade to even understand. But uh, the reality of that and then living it out. Yeah. It's blown me away. I did not know the ketogenic diet. Even you talked about that earlier for epilepsy. Uh, my oldest son uh, had epilepsy. I knew about it from that aspect. I didn't know the benefit it had to me. But also on your reading, Michael, my kids, I think it's the best thing uh, outside, hopefully, of the love that I've given them is reading because we don't allow electronics and TV and whatnot. And they're just avid readers. I am blown away by what they know and how it has just grown their mind. Again, I didn't I wouldn't have known it outside. of It is. It is. It's it's dramatic. Well, your dad is a great example. You know, he's one of the most voracious readers I know. Mm -hmm. He's always talking about the books he's read. And whenever we get together, we're just like comparing notes and introducing each other to to new books. And I just love, I love that. I mean, you can see behind me. I mean, I got a, I got a huge library and it's, it's really important to me. Next one is financial. And that is one that affects us all dramatically. When we talk about in the, you know, in the first show, we talked about the consequences of health and wellness or lack thereof, and the consequences of not having focus and letting ourselves be overrun and overburdened finances. We know is gigantic. Uh, I know it's a big part of your world, a big part of your teaching. You're there in Nashville where Dave Ramsey has his, his uh, house and business on the mountain overlooking all. And, and I'm grateful for what he's done in the financial realm. But so one, yeah, again, I'd ask you, what is a top tier, a bit of counsel you would give on financial health? And if there's anything new that you guys have been doing in your business or anything as of recent years? Well, let me start with the advice I'd give to somebody that's just starting. And this is not my advice. It's Dave Ramsey's advice. Mm. Spend it on paper first before the month begins. You know, like he says, give every dollar a name, spend it on paper, work with a budget. That's the only way to get control of it. I'd say the thing that that we started doing once, once I began this business in 2011 um, is paying ourselves first. And there's a great mm-hmm. book out there if people haven't read called Profit First, where you decide to pay yourself first, and then the expenses, everything else comes uh, out of what's left. And that's a great discipline. It, for, it forces innovation. Uh, it forces cash flow management. And it's a really good thing. It's a way to accumulate wealth incrementally, slowly over time. You know, it's interesting because when you first said that, I mean, I know what you're talking about, having savings, but I also, and I wonder if there's other people out there, entrepreneurs who have great intent, they want to save the world. They want to serve everybody. I did that in my businesses early on is I made sure everybody else was paid before we were. And yet back to your, yeah, back to your proficiency, I was starving the person not to uphold myself, but I was running this ship. So imagine starving the captain. That's what I did. And I did out of great intent, great heart. And I tanked massively. Uh, as a yeah, it's, it's easy to do. And, and this is where it's great to outsource this. Like I've said to my CFO, your job is to make sure that I get paid first. So we're taking this out of the business. Again, constraints force innovation. Yeah, it's like me quitting at 6 p.m. At, at night. That forces me to get my work done during the workday mm-hmm. and not drag it into the evening. If I pay myself first, then I got to figure out how to live on what's left. And so I, I would say a thing that I've used to hack, like this is my ultimate hack. 
is use coaches. Hmm. Outsource as much as you can to people that are professionals. So for me, I've got a personal accountant that I pay every month that makes sure that everything gets paid on time, that my priorities are kept so that I'm not allowed to impulsively you know, spend money that ought to be saved or ought to go to some other uh, purpose. So I think outsourcing or having a coach can be a, can be a huge help. That you said that a couple of times, constraints, force, innovation. I probably need to hear that continually. Uh, I may even title the show that that's a, maybe that's your next book. Uh, I could use, I'll I'll buy it. I'll buy it. First one. All right. Next one, uh, Michael, uh, number five, spiritual, the spiritual spoke, which I know is a massive one for you. I'll just let you take it from there. Yeah. So, you know, for decades now, I've read through the Bible every year. You know, I, I did it this morning. You know, I do it every morning. Occasionally I miss, but then I catch up. But I read through the Bible every year. I pray every morning. But the thing that I've just gotten back to, and I was doing this for a while. And so if people go back and compare the, uh, the last episode I did with you, maybe I was doing it then, I can't remember. But I've just gotten back to it is meditation. Mm. And I find that meditating is so helpful in so many areas of my life to be able to quiet my mind. And I'm using an app called One Giant Mind. And it's one, the numeral one, One Giant Mind. And it walks you through a series of short 12, 15-minute lessons and teaches you how to do meditation. And then beyond that, then there's something they have called a 30-day challenge. The cool thing is it's all free. You know, you can pay for additional content if you want, but the basic program is free. But I, I really relish and look forward to that, that 15 minutes to just kind of quiet my spirit, to settle my mind. And we, have, we, we allow very little space for that in our lives. Our lives are so noisy and so busy. And again, there's so much research. In fact, we, we were talking about Cal Newport's new book, Digital Minimalism, earlier. And he has an entire chapter about spending time alone. That solitude can be incredibly powerful in your life. And you find all the great artists, all the great business people, all the people that accomplish extraordinary things, made time to just give time to solitude and be quiet. And meditation is a great way to do that. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Okay, next one, Michael, is career. And that is one. I appreciate your testimony in the first show. You know, you spent so much time in the corporate world, CEO of Thomas Nelson. Then you went on your own solopreneur, and now you're uh, the head of your own uh, sizable corporation. But you also, I know, are involved and speak to and influence so many people who I would guess by far and large are are self-employed or going after that or going after a side business somewhat. But career is such a big issue, and we know that we've changed so much from the you know, two or three careers in a lifetime to, I don't know what the number is now, but it's a dramatically higher number. Maybe you, you know that what would you again, counsel somebody to keep their career from varying off to where it shouldn't be just keeping in a, in a path that fits them. That is going to be abundant for them. Oh, well there, just go with that. Yeah, this is um, a profoundly simple idea, but it's been Hugely powerful for me and for my clients. This has revolutionized many of my clients' clients' businesses. And it's this. Identify three big tasks that you need to do each day. And when I say big, I don't mean time involvement, but importance. So here's what happens to the average person. 
they have a to-do list when they get up in the morning that's, you know, 20 plus things. And it feels overwhelming. Like, how am I going to get these 20 things done? Right. right. And so maybe they get 10 of them done. They put their head on the pillow at night with 10 things left undone. Of course, that's where they focus. And now they're discouraged. You know, they worked all day long. They only got halfway through their to-do list and they're dragging on to tomorrow's to-do list, the 10 things that they didn't get done. Well, not all tasks are created equal. There's probably only a handful of those that are really going to move the needle. So what I force people to do, what I force myself to do is identify my daily big three. Now I have something that I produce. I don't know if you've seen it, which I, we call the full focus planner, which is an analog planner. Why? Because we wanted to help people get out of the digital distraction environment and get focused on an analog tool that gives them the ability to focus on their daily big three. So the daily big three are those three tasks that are either going to move you towards one of your goals or accomplish, uh, help accomplish an important project. Now, here's the cool thing that happens then. And by the way, you can have other tasks, but those three are the 20% that drive 80% of the results. So when I get up in the morning and identify my three tasks, I don't feel overwhelmed because I think, hey, just three tasks. I can do that. And 99% of the time I get to the end of the day with those three tasks done. I maybe didn't get everything done that was, you know, all the other items in the junk drawer of my task list, but I got the most important stuff done and I can go to sleep satisfied and grateful that I, that I got the most important things done. So the daily big three is one of the most important disciplines that you can employ. And there's a lot of people that talk about this, everybody from uh, Dan Sullivan to Warren Buffett, but it's a key hack. There's a reason why they're talking about it. Well, and I'll testify that it has been the most, it is the most profound thing to my business days. Well, and I'll take it beyond that, even personal. I, those first three things. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it may be a personal thing. It's not, has, it doesn't have to do with the business but it does. And I'm grateful for the constraints as you've talked about. Sometimes I am uh, classically getting the last one done at, you know, four fifty before I head out the door at five. Yeah, me uh, too. I, 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 I got to admit, I laughed when you said an analog planner, because uh, I keep, as I have gotten older than I realize, and I speak things, I, I told a guy the other day, I, I made a quip about selling Amway and he said, what? I said, how old are you? You don't know Amway? You've not been accosted? Come on, guy. And I'm wondering how many people don't know analog. Guys, he's talking about paper. It's paper. It's not an paper. app. <laughs> paper. I love that. I wrote that down. I'm going to use analog uh, for paper. Well, Michael, the last one is the personal spoke, and that's the one that is the fun. It's the hobbies. You, you mentioned hobbies earlier in, in some context, uh, the play, the things that are just something that we do for ourselves. So again, and this is a great one for you to speak to and give counsel. And I would say this goes beyond just doing it to the uh, analogy of your grandkids, but to all of us, because I think, again, as a culture, we more and more, again, in this aspiring group, we don't make room for those. Mm. So give us some counsel on, on the value of that. And then I would like to know what your latest and greatest fun hobbies play is. Yeah. Okay. So hobbies are critically important because all work and no play makes Jack. What a, a dull, dull boy. boy. Yeah. If you have hobbies, all the brain science shows that it gives your mind a chance to relax so that when you come back to work, you can be more energized, more creative, uh, better at solving problems. So hobbies give you a competitive advantage. There's a reason why Winston Churchill was a painter 
And in fact, in the throes of World War II, in the darkest hours of World War II, he still made time, made time to paint. Um, but there's been all kinds of other great leaders that have had uh, important hobbies, a lot of them, interestingly, painters. Mm-hmm. For me, I love fly fishing. You know, because it's like a friend of mine says, when you're fishing, you're doing something, but you ain't doing much. <laughs> and that's why I like fishing. And I, and I have a rule for myself. In fact, I've got several rules for my weekends and my time off. I don't think about work. I don't talk about work. I don't read about work. I don't listen to podcasts about work. Hmm. And uh, I was having a conversation with your dad the other day, and we were talking about this, and I think his head exploded. It's like, What? You know, how, how can we not do that? Because he loves his work. I love my work. But I know I'm much more effective. And people that practice that discipline are much more effective, uh, too. And, and you know what? They're a whole lot more interesting. Yeah. So I've got fishing. Uh, I play the Native American flute. I love photography. Um, I may actually take up painting this year uh, with my wife, Gail. I just thought it'd be something fun to do together. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, fly fishing, I've always thought is the consummate entrepreneur's uh, hobby there because you you can always try something different, even if it's just tilting your jaw and there's always a shot. It's just the consummate entrepreneurs. Yeah. You you know, that that's one that I've learned. My hobby is natural wood, uh, art, but it's really functional furniture, things in my home, whether it's a lamp or a bunk bed or whatever. But what I realized is true to my nature. I'm still creating. That's what I love to do most is just step back and create but it's that it's more of a hands-on. Obviously I'm not sitting at a desk. I'm getting my hands dusty and you're right. It, it, what it frees up for me, create creatively. And even just from a peace standpoint, because to focus on that, I can't really think about anything else that well. Mm-hmm. And it shuts that out. It's the same thing for me with, with trail running. Uh, I got to pay attention where I step and I don't think about other things it makes me better for what I do, but I had to learn that I had to learn. It's interesting. Yeah. You talk about my dad because he's been pretty outspoken in recent years uh, in admitting that he has not done well in pursuing a mm-hmm. hobby. He enjoys his work. He likes it. He likes to talk about it. And so he's coming back to that now. And as you probably well know, he just took up playing, uh, the piano or got a, uh, uh what's the electronic piano, a uh, keyboard. Yeah. Keyboard. He was telling me about that. Yeah. Which is, that's so I'm awesome. Not, I'm not used I'm so to glad that. For it. I am too. I am too. <laughs> it's like, who are you? Hey, I so enjoyed this, Michael. I love this. And you've made me excited to go back to some of the folks who I have done the hobbies with and let them come at it from this standpoint. What would you advise uh, somebody for the first time or give as your lead counsel? Uh, I resonated with it, made me smile. It was confirming and gave me some new ideas. Good. Thank you uh, for doing this and for, Uh, just giving us the benefit of your guidance. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. Well, there you go, folks. Sage advice from Michael Hyatt. Again, don't miss uh, the main show we just did together. And of course, his book, Free to Focus, which is already on the bestseller list. And as of this recording, it's not yet officially even released. That's all just from pre-sales. But you can find it at michaelhyatt.com or, of course, wherever you buy books. If you got value from the show, of course, it's a gift to let us know. Uh, Leave a review on iTunes for The Ziegler Show. Well, coming up, In show 669, I asked the question, have you ever, for your work or personal life, practiced and or gotten coaching for a presentation, whether that's for sales, a live onstage presentation, for getting a date or a job, anything? And that's that's the question I gave to the Ziegler audience. So Zig Ziegler starts us out with a five-minute lesson on mastering your personal presentation. 
Again, whether for sales or our personal lives, I mean, Zig mastered sales and then the stage, but even more, he just realized that all of life is a presentation and how we are perceived is up to us and how we choose and work to present ourselves, our ideas, our care and love even. So Michelle Prince joined me to talk through the many comments on how people have worked to hone their work and life presentations. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.